Welcome to Brave, Bold, Brilliant. Your host, Jeanette Linfoot, talks to incredible people about their experiences and unleashing their full potential. From the boardroom tables of big international business to the dining room tables of entrepreneurial startups, embracing opportunities, overcoming challenges, taking risks, while staying true to yourself is where the magic happens. Hi, it's Jeanette here. If you're enjoying Brave, Bold, Brilliant, I'd love it if you'd subscribe, share with your friends and leave a five-star review. Let's do it. Here's the show. Welcome to the Brave, Bold, Brilliant podcast. Ian, nice to have you. Uh, nice to be here. Yeah, it's fantastic. So joined today by Ian Price, who is the director of the Confederation of British Industry here in Wales. And we are here in sunny mumbles. The sun has come out after it being days of raining. So you must be a good omen, Ian. Oh, I don't know about that. I've, I've had the rain dump on me a couple of times this week when I've been out running, so I wouldn't suggest I, I'm particularly lucky when it comes to the weather. So. <laughs> well, listen, we might talk a little bit about exercise and business, and because obviously that that helps, doesn't it? With us be the most you know best version of ourselves. So we'll talk about that later. There's a lot we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about all things business, um, you know, starting businesses, scaling businesses, how the CBI can help. And also some of the trends, I think, and some of the pressures that maybe people are feeling at the moment as well. Um, so, Ian, before we do that, can you just talk us through your journey? How did you end up as director of the CBI in Wales? I've got probably one of the most unconventional uh, work histories of any person that, uh, at the CBI, I would suggest. Uh, I'm quite unique in some respects because I'm, I'm the only non-university educated director at the CBI and uh, uh, every, everything I've done in life seems to have occurred by accident, ironically. So I, was, uh, I, I left school and went into the Air Force uh, when I was 18. And uh, I spent nine years in the Air Force. And uh, during my, sadly, I'm showing my age here, but during my time in the Air Force, I, was, uh, I, spent, I spent some time uh, down uh, in the South Atlantic during the Falklands War. So, oh, wow. so it gives you an idea of how long I've been around, sadly. But uh, yeah, and even that was accidental to a certain extent because... Uh, it was more to do with what what I knew about a, a particular piece of equipment rather than the fact that I was a particularly good uh, airman who could uh, you know who you'd want in a battle. So, so I left the air force in 1986, not really knowing where I wanted to go, and I was I was married had a, uh, a young daughter, so it was a major panic. And the only thing that sort of cropped up immediately was a, an opportunity to go and work in in Saudi Arabia. As a, as a civilian instructor to the uh, Saudi Air Force. So I spent two years doing that. And then I came back from um, Saudi Arabia. We did, we, it, it set us up for our first home and such like. So it was a positive experience in that respect. So it was good. But um, I came back. I didn't have a clear idea again about what I was going to do. And I went into a recruitment agency in Bristol because we, we bizarrely bought a house in Western Supermare, even though neither my wife or I had any connections with Western Supermare. So I'm never quite clear why we did that. But uh, So we, we ended up in Western Supermare. So I went into an employment agency in Bristol looking for a, a role. And um, I, I chatted to the, the guy behind the desk, and I was there for about an hour. And uh, as, as you'll probably find through this podcast, I can chat. And uh, after about an hour, he said, uh, he said, have you ever thought about doing this? I thought, no, not really. You know, I, I've never really considered a career in recruitment. And he said, uh, oh, he said, I think you can do it. So he offered me a job on the spot. And I, I, that started my, my career in recruitment. So I started a career in recruitment in 1987. And I spent 20, almost 20 years in recruitment. And I ended up with probably Wales's largest recruiter, a company called Acorn Recruitment. And I was a, I was a director there. And... Um, Recruitment's a weird industry. It's quite a brutal industry in some respects. But I was I was in recruitment when it was developing outside of London. So it was quite an exciting industry. It's fast moving. It was great fun. It was huge pressure because you know basically uh, you were only ever as good as your last week, yeah. which can be quite a tough environment to work in. But I was at the time it was it, it was a fair industry. You know what I mean? I thought it was it was an honest industry, and you had to be. If you're being honest, it worked quite well, and that I've always used that maxim throughout my working career. So I was, I was, I was pretty successful. I, I, it's a bit of a joke, but I, I was. My role was very much because I would go in, and I was. My approach to everything is to be honest about it. They were always, 
send me in whenever a, a, there was a, a client that was not really happy. <laughs> and I would always accept the, uh, the criticism on behalf of the business and I would, take the, I would take the kicking. So I was the sort of, I was the go-to person whenever, whenever the company was getting the kicking. And because I would, I would accept that and, and be honest in our approach, I always, always used to come away with a positive outcome. So, so that was my role very much. So I, I think the posh term for it is troubleshooter. But I, <laughs> yeah. the way I described it was just going in and getting the kicking and coming away. So I did, I did that till 2005. And in 2005, I was, interestingly, the ACON's representative on the CBI Council in Wales. So I... I, I Acorn uh, were a member of the CBI, and I was, I've always been interested by politics, and I've always been interested in that in that side of things. So I used to sit on the council, and I really enjoyed it. And Acorn decided to sell out to a large French corporate called Synergy, and I thought maybe this is the time to move on. I, I'd never been a, I'd worked for large corporates within recruitment, and I I didn't enjoy that experience. So um. Uh, serendipity, I suppose, that an opportunity came up with the CBI at the time. So uh, the CBI approached me and asked me if I was interested in coming over because they knew about my experience and what I'd done. And um, the CBI is an interesting organisation, particularly in 2005. It was quite old-fashioned and quite staid. So they didn't really have much commercial expertise. Uh, their expertise was very much in the lobbying and government side of things and not in you know, commercial and and. and you've got to keep bringing new members into the CBI to, to keep it relevant and to keep it valid. And that was the bit they weren't terribly good at. So they took me on in Wales, and, my, and I spent quite a bit of time in the Southwest as well, but my role was very much to bring in new businesses into membership because circumstances change. Sadly, businesses go out of business, you know, uh, businesses get acquired by other businesses, and then, you know, they have a change of direction. So you've got to keep refreshing the membership. And uh, so my role was very much initially to come in and do that. And uh, I joined the CBI in 2005, and I'm, I'm still there 17 years later now. So, and I'm now the director in Wales, and, and as well as being the commercial head, I, I do very much the political engagement as well now, which is what I really enjoy as well. So, so uh, yeah, I, I like what I do, and it's, it's, it's incredibly rewarding at times. Uh, well, what a stellar career! My God, I mean that—that's amazing, isn't it? But you've had what, what's interesting, I think, is that you've had you've had multiple different phases of your career, haven't you? You know, uh, almost three three chunks or four chunks, if you like. As you, were, I know you've done other things as well, but broadly speaking, but you've had longevity in your roles. Yeah. Um, so obviously, you're finding an environment that suits you, a business that suits you, an organisation that suits you, and then you're, you're able to excel and progress. You know, you've had progression in all of those roles, which is amazing because I think sometimes when people are looking at other people's career, they it all looks like it's all rosy, doesn't it, from the outside, and it's been easy, but mm. I'm sure it hasn't always been easy for you. You know, you've had, you'll have had your challenges along the way, etc. but you're clearly passionate about what you do. And if you're passionate about what you do, then anything's possible, really, I believe. Um, so, so with the CBI in particular, you must have seen a lot of changes, Ian, over that time, 17 years in, in, you know, in that organisation. Talk me through some of the changes. You said a little bit around when you started, it was probably quite an old-fashioned organisation. And a lot of people won't know what the CBI actually does. So I think if you can cover that off a little bit, because some people listening, whether they're in Wales or they're elsewhere in the UK, the CBI is not just Wales, obviously. No. It's, a, it's, a, it's a bigger organisation. But I think a lot of people don't realise that it's there as a resource in a way that it probably is. So talk us through what they offer and how it's changed and evolved and why it's so relevant and important for today. Well, if I, if I just cover off what the CBI does in the first instance, yeah. it's, it's probably the... the the premier business organisation in the UK for, for businesses over a particular size. Um, it's from SMEs upwards. And, and, and what we do to a large extent is we, we lobby government on behalf of business. So we, we, we look out for businesses' welfare to a large extent. And government, whether intentionally or unintentionally on occasions, can make decisions that have really negative impacts on business. So we're there and it's our role to point those uh, impacts out to them and say maybe this isn't such a good idea do you realize that if you do this the impact will be I think that one of the good examples was uh, I think originally uh, uh, when I could think of the 
was in the early days when I was at CBI Wales was the carrier bag levy. I don't know if you remember the carrier bag levy, but, but you know, um, it was bringing in a charge for carrier bags. And Wales was first in the UK, to, well, I think it was first in the world to do that, actually. So they brought in the carrier bag levy. So originally, when, when Welsh Government were going to do this, they were going to charge 10p for a carrier bag. And at the time, a bag for life was only 5p. And, and, and we tried to explain to them that this was absolutely bonkers because if you, all people are going to do is, is buy a bag for life, which is 5p cheap, and then throw that away instead of throwing, you know. And so it wasn't, their intention was, was good, you know what I mean? They wanted to stop people buying carrier bags and throwing them away, but in actual fact, it wasn't thought out. So we spent ages, and, and me and a colleague spent an absolute, Oh, it's six months on this particular subject. And we were, we had, the office was full of carrier bags and we were measuring bags to see what size, right? And we were getting, we were getting involved with organisations I'd never even heard of, right? The, and one of the organisations we got involved with was the National Fish Friars Federation, right? And, uh, which I didn't know existed previously because, of, of course, chip shops used to give, give away carrier bags. And we, were, we had a whole group of business, uh, business organisations in the office one day and we discussed it anyway. We arrived at a compromise and, and with Welsh Government and they came up with a piece of legislation. And within, within two years, it was rolled out across the rest of the UK. And, and, and that was our role. Our role was to make sure they didn't get that wrong because if they got it wrong, it wouldn't have worked and nobody would have adhered to it. And it would have been a bit of a mess. So, so that's an example of where we got involved, you know, and we lobbied on behalf of businesses. And people like Iceland were involved, you know, the... the um, retailer were involved in that conversation because they were concerned, you know, because sadly, a store like Iceland, the, the people that generally shop in Iceland are at the lower end of the, the socioeconomic, you know, scale. So, so they di didn't want to add costs to their, to their, you know, their, their shoppers. And so it was, a, it was a sensible compromise. It was 5p, it was affordable. And as I said, it must have been successful because everybody else started doing it within a short space of time as well. So, you know, that's, that's just an example where we, we got involved. So that's yeah. what the CBI does. Um, how the CBI looks and how it's changed, that's, that's, that's a slightly different. When I joined the CBI, most people looked like me. What I mean by that, they, they look white, they look male yes. predominantly, with one or two exceptions, there were some females. But the, the organisation has changed enormously in the last 17 years. You know, it, it's far more representative of what society looks like now. And, and equally as well, I, the example I, I mentioned it earlier, when I joined, the thought of me becoming a director in the CBI was somebody that didn't go to a Russell Group University or wasn't even educated in a university, would, would, it just wouldn't have happened. So, you know, we've made some enormous progress over the years and, and we've become a far more diverse organisation. And as a consequence of that, we benefited as well because we've got lots of different viewpoints now. So, you know, when, you, when you're having a discussion, you've got a group of people around the table, you're getting perspectives from all angles that we we probably didn't get at the time, but in 2005, probably we weren't that different to other organisations either. Either, but we've I've, we've been on a journey, and I think you know we're still we're still on a journey. Um, I think some other businesses are maybe in front of us, uh, but there's more behind us, sadly, than there are in front of us. But certainly, we we I think uh, we've been successful in that respect, and I, I think as a consequence, it's made us even more relevant than we were. Mm, yeah, I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I think a couple of things just to pick up on as you're, as you're speaking, Ian, is that you know around the bridge that the CBI is, you know, you, you, you have both perspectives, you understand government and policy and, and kind of some of the challenges that, that Westminster have to deal with yeah. and, and, and Parliament have to deal with both locally in terms of local council, but also national. Um, but you also understand business and the commerciality of those decisions that are made by government sometimes. And I think, you know, to have a strong voice is so important and to, to act as the bridge. So I think what the CBI does is incredibly powerful. And any business owner that's listening or, you know, that's not actually plugged into CBI, you know, correct that because it's a great organisation. Mm. And, and I actually, sorry, from all of my years in business, you know, the CBI has been, you know, a key, a key part of engagement mm. uh, and that bridge, as I say. But I just want to pick up on your point around how the organisation's changed and, and being a role model as an organisation for diversity and inclusion. Mm. Because as you, as you rightly say, society has changed. We want to create an environment, both work and social, where 
there shouldn't be these barriers to progression, whether it's in business or whatever your chosen career may be. And actually, whether you're black, white, male, female, whatever your sexual orientation is, whatever your cultural background or social background, we want to create an equally inclusive world. Um, I think most people would want that. So talking about diversity and inclusion, it was interesting because there's um, a study that's literally just out. I was listening to it on the Radio 5 Live this morning, and it's about how 25% of people think that their accent holds them back. And actually, in university students, it was 33%. So a big proportion of people. Now, I've got quite a strong Mancunian accent. I'm very proud of my background. Um, but I you know, made my way in the corporate world to ultimately become the CEO of FTSE 100, FTSE 250 businesses. So social mobility, regardless of your background, you didn't go to university and you've progressed fantastically well. So I just wanted to get your perspective on the mindset around kind of progression when you don't come from a privileged background, when you don't come from money or, you know, a, a, a start in life, which is maybe a bit more affluent than, than probably you and I had. So how did you make sure that you have been able to progress without in your earlier career sort of letting that hold you back and, and be the old, you know, the imposter syndrome often kicks in, I think. It was, it was less relevant in recruitment because recruitment was a hodgepodge of people right. simply that had come together for various reasons. It, nobody, nobody sets out in life, for a, well, certainly at that time when I was involved, for a career in recruitment. Mm. So recruitment was a bit easier. The challenges came when I joined the CBI because, I, I, as you can tell from this podcast, I've got quite a strong accent, which unbelievably has, has mellowed over the years. So you can imagine what it was like in 2005. And uh, uh, I was the first person really that had been involved in the CBI that had such a strong Welsh accent. And I was, I was a little bit self-conscious to start with, you know. And, and I think I, I read the same piece you read. And of course, people love to poke fun at accents. And, and, and nobody means anything by it, but it... it it does make you a little bit more self-conscious. And, and I still struggle to listen to myself. I do quite a bit of media for the CBI in Wales. And uh, this afternoon, I'm, I'm doing some stuff for the BBC. And I, I, I still struggle to listen to myself because I'm self-conscious. And I think, God, how Welsh do I sound? Not that I'm not proud of being Welsh. Yeah. <laughs> I feel slightly uncomfortable at how Welsh I sound. So it's, it's a very difficult thing to deal with. And, and, and I, I think it, it's... Things have improved. Obviously, they've improved because I'm where I am, and that's an example of how things have improved. Mm. But it is out there still, and, and, and it is difficult. And, and if you, you know, I, I, the CBI centrally is a wonderful organisation. Our director general's uh, Northern Irish, and he's got a, a strong Northern Irish accent. So we, we have got people, but it's amazing when you go to London how many people are accentless. Mm. And I don't know whether it's a conscious thing, but I, I think the trouble is sometimes we tend to. We tend to, well, certain, a lot of people tend to recruit in their own, you know, models. So they see themselves and they see how they sound and how they look and they then recruit people that sound and look very similar to them. And I, I think we're, get, we're getting over that barrier, but it, 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 is, a, it is a battle and, and it's, it's something you've got to consciously consider. And I, I think people in HR nowadays are a lot, a lot sharper and a lot more aware of what they're doing and how they're recruiting people. But it, 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 is, it is still a challenge. And it has to be worked at. And the minute you take your eye off the ball, things slip back to how they were before. Yeah. So I think it's something we, we have to keep concentrating on to, to make sure that we get the, the right voices around the table. You know, as we said, lots of people from different backgrounds, lots of people with different experiences, because you get a far better viewpoint then than you would if you just get lots of people that look and sound the same. Yeah, you're so right. You're so right. I mean, I remember my my first proper job. Um, so I graduated in 93. So I'm showing my age now. I'm in recession, big mm. recession, actually. So it's quite apt. You know, we're going to talk about the economy mm. a little bit and, and some of the challenges shortly. But I remember when I graduated, I was applying for hundreds of jobs. Even rugby cement turned me down, Ian. Rugby cement. And McCain Oven Chips wouldn't even have me on their graduate scheme. So, yeah, I was cleaning tables in Debenhams just because you do what you do. You need, you've got to earn some money, right? So I've never been proud in that sense. But I, my first proper job was as an economist, a government economist mm. in Whitehall. You know, and I, I remember joining and I would say 90 percent 
of um, economists in the government economic service at the time were from were Oxbridge graduates mm-hmm. or out of Oxford or Cambridge. Now I got first in economics, but I went to Leeds, you know. <laughs> so off I turn up, you know, Northern or down to <laughs> London, like little Paddington with my suitcase, not knowing anyone. And yet I definitely, definitely had this whole thing around. I don't fit in here. I don't belong here. I'm going to get found out. Mm. I'm not as good as the others. And of course, as you get older, it's total nonsense, right? You know, everyone, you stand there because you have got a voice and you are good enough. But that whole internal piece is really important because I think there's things that you need to do as an individual, yourself, around, you know, believing in yourself and continuing to develop and being proud of where you're from. And actually, you know, if you're different, it's a chance to stand out, right? Who wants to be the same as the masses? Yeah. Who wants to be average and grey and in the middle? No, be different. And I think having a you know a strong background, whatever it may be, allows you to stand out from the crowd. And then there's what businesses need to do. Yeah. So there's two sides to the coin, isn't there? Um, but what I want to talk about now, leading on from that, Ian, if that's okay, is in Wales, because again, you know, not dissimilar to other parts of the UK. There are societies and, and regions which are, you know, quite deprived, mm. um, you know, in some, maybe some of the areas in the valleys, et cetera. And then you've got big hubs like, you know, Cardiff, which is a really progressive mm. city. You've got Swansea with lots of development going on. So how is the pattern changing uh, and what are some of the challenges that you're working on specifically around social mobility and trying to get more of an equal opportunities for people, regardless of where they are physically based in, in Wales? Well, obviously, the UK government has a big campaign on levelling up at the moment. And, and governments are not always the best vehicles to to address this challenge because they have their own perceptions of levelling up. And, mm-hmm. and it, 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 But it, it, it's... It's well, again, going back to my point, it's well-intentioned. And I think the government in Wales is hugely aware of the fact that we have massive disparities in Wales. We've got areas of real deprivation and then we've got areas of real affluence. And, and you know, the gulf is huge. And I think as well, we have challenges in Wales because we've got a slightly, we've got an ageing population. So on average, our population is older than other parts of the UK. Sadly, our population is sicker. Um, and, 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 and it's a real challenge. We've got, I think, one, uh, one in four of the people eligible to work in the Wales are, are economically inactive. So that's a real challenge for us as well. And at a time when you've got huge recruitment problems for businesses, you know, that, you know, that needs to be addressed as well. So we're, we're looking, at a, we're doing a piece of work at CBI Wales at the moment around uh, diversity. And um, sadly, you know, Wales has got some real challenges around uh, diversity in STEM. So I, I, we, one particular member we're doing a piece of work with at the moment, a, a really successful business called SPTS. And they, they manufacture capital equipment and basically their equipment makes, helps to make chips that goes in, not, not, not going back to the fish frying federation, you know, <laughs> chips, <Rejection laughs> yeah. but, uh, yeah, but, 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 but make chips that go into everybody's iPhone and they're, they're an incredible business and they're, you know, their average salary is 45k, right? So, which is well above the, the national mm. average and well above the average in Wales, mm. yet Every time they go out to, to recruit candidates for apprenticeships or degrees, uh, degree apprenticeships, they've, virtu- uh, they've gone from uh, having around 20% of the candidates being diverse to single figures. And, and it's a real, real challenge. And, and they couldn't, they're doing a lot, but they, they're looking now at other ways of addressing this because they want, they want you know, at the moment, they're, not, they're only selecting from somewhere in the region about 55% of the workforce. Because forty five percent aren't applying for those roles, and we need to find out what we need to do to address that. So the the work we're doing at the moment is looking at how we change perceptions. Because obviously there's a negative view of um um, you know, engineering to a certain extent, the sciences, and I think it's a school problem. And 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 there were some really there were some positive things to come out of the discussion we had recently, but there were some negative things. And one of the things that was really frustrating for me, and and, and quite a few people around the table was. When employers in engineering were going into schools to talk to, to uh, students, the schools were holding back the A-level candidates. Wow. They weren't putting them up to meet the employers because they wanted them to go on to do do A-levels and go on to university. They, you know, and they thought, no, they won't be interested in engineering. And it was really, really, that was concerning in itself. Yeah. So again, and, and the, another, but that was an example of the negative 
situation. But then the positive thing was that there were employers now going into primary schools and nurseries just to change perceptions. And uh, Transport for Wales, which runs all our trains when they are running in Wales, had had developed a fairly low-cost solution, which I thought was brilliant, was they'd made a book to put in all the the libraries in all the the primary schools in in Wales, and it was called um, My Mummy the Train Driver. So they were trying to address the gender imbalance within their industry, and it was a simple, low-cost solution, and they put it in all the, the schools. And then... Girls would pick it up, boys would pick it up, and it, you, you address some of this, uh, some of the negativity out there on particular roles. So you know we're looking at particular areas of things that we could do at the moment to improve the situation, and and I think we mentioned social mobility. So yes. one of the things that came out of the conversation we had was free public transport for for pe- uh, people under the age of twenty, so they could move around South Wales and go to whether it's courses or go to employment where, you know, they, they, at the moment they can't access it because they can't afford the, the public transport to get there. So, so it's an area of development at the moment, but I'm certainly looking at solutions in that way because, you know, if we don't address it, we, we're falling behind the rest of the world in this. Mm-hmm. You know, they, you know um, SPTS is part of a larger corporation called KLA and they've got sites all over the UK. And currently, the uh, the diversity problem in in Wales is far more acute than some of the other sites elsewhere right. in the world. So. Right, right. And can you just explain, Ian, because uh, I, in terms of STEM, what STEM stands Sorry, for, for people it's, it's, that might uh, not know? Yeah, yeah, science, nice. technical, engineering, and, and maths. So yeah, okay. So so those sort of sectors that maybe have a perception or historically have probably been more male dominated. Yes, yeah. And there might be aspects that have maybe uh, assuming more sort of manual aspects to those roles, which isn't necessarily the case. No, no, it, 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 these are the yeah. problems because it, it was interesting. One of the other employers, who, who, who was a, it's an engineering company in, in, in Blind Avon up the Welsh Valley, right up the top of the Welsh Valleys. And, uh, and, and, and they were actually now speaking to their local brownie groups to, to, to try and address some of the perceptions because mm-hmm. they're engineering and they're, they're conscious that, you know, if you look at their shop floor, it's virtually 99% male. Yes. And, and they realise that's a weakness mm-hmm. and it's a failing as they, as they progress. So they, 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 their idea was to go in to, and bring local brownie groups in to look around their factory and say, look, you know, you can work in here, you know. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, to try and... Trying to shift the, the dial a little. Yeah, I mean, I, initiatives like that are so important. I 100% agree with you, you know, because I see it in the travel industry as well, where, you know, female pilots, female captains of ships, you know, though engineering, again, you know, um, very, very traditionally very male dominated so organizations that i'm very heavily involved with easyjet is one where actually they made a conscious strategic decision that they wanted more female pilots not because um the guys weren't good mm. but just because actually you know women bring something different to the yeah. table but the skills needed actually can be this you know, there's no physical barrier for a woman being a pilot versus a man being a pilot, but the perception is definitely an issue. And EasyJet did a similar thing where they set a kind of, you know, a, a, a real strategic agenda that was sponsored and was discussed at board. You know, it has to come from the top, I think, and filter down. Uh, and they were going into schools as well, you know, and talking to, to young girls saying this could be a career for you. And they would never have considered that. And they have really shifted the dial on the proportion of female pilots. I think they're over 25% now, female pilots. Pilots from pretty much like nothing. Yeah. Uh, another organisation is Celebrity Cruises as well. Mm. Um, so again, Celebrity, they have, on some of their new ships, they have uh, the first all-female team on the bridge female captain, female, you know, which is, again, unheard of. But actually, by making these really aggressive, bold moves, but getting in early. Um, yeah, uh, definitely. It, no, key, it's substantive. It? Yeah, it, you've almost, it's primary school nowadays. But, they're, they're just, you know, their perceptions are shaped by the, by the time they reach the comprehensive and, mm. and, and, and that level. Yeah. So you've got to go in early. You know, I think, interestingly, I think it's less the case now, but, you know, toys and such. Well, you go into a toy shop and quite often the, the girls section includes a nurse's outfit and the, and, the, and the boys section includes a doctor's outfit. And, 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 and that's still the case. It's less the case. 
but these are the things that need to be addressed as well, you know, so, yeah. and, and role models. There's no substitute for role yeah, models. Absolutely. I interviewed um, a, a, a guy called George Evans on the podcast that he was out this Monday, just gone, and he's trans- transgender mm. and a whole bunch of other, you know, misperceptions and people yeah. not understanding. And, you know, so that was a fascinating conversation. So it's complex, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, well, it's not easy. But I think the fact that you're there leading the, you know, the march and, and, and taking action and it, and it does take time. But can we just change tack a little bit, Ian? Because I'm yeah. quite interested in your views on, on sort of, you know, the economic situation. I'm not saying we should get into a political yeah. debate um, because, you know, that's possibly not. <laughs> we all have our opinions. Yeah. But, you know, and, and again, at the moment, clearly we've come through global pandemic, which has been difficult and challenging on so many levels. There have been opportunities yeah. through that as well. There'll always yeah. be winners and losers. And now we're in a tricky global economic scenario uh, where we've got the war in Ukraine. We, you know, we've got rising um, inflation. We've got interest rates going up, um, and it's not just within the UK. It is a lot of that is globally. So a lot of challenges facing you know businesses and individuals in terms of their personal finance situation. So can you just talk a little bit around? Uh, I know you're talking to the BBC um, yeah. later around your thoughts on sort of some of the economic challenges um, and then we can talk about the approach that maybe businesses and entrepreneurs can take to try and mitigate some of those issues. Yeah, certainly. Um, yeah, it's, it's, I feel slightly guilty because I've, I've, been in, I've, I've been the director of the CBI in Wales for, for six years and I've overseen Brexit. I, I've, I've sort of overseen the pandemic and now I'm overseeing a, a, an economic crisis. So, so every year when I stand up at our annual dinner, the first thing I do is apologise. I, I might have been around, but none of, I don't, I, none of this is my fault, please believe me. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it, it, it's, it's, it's incredibly tough. You know, I, I, I'm speaking to businesses on a daily basis. And uh, again, a nice little example for you. I was talking to a, a pet food manufacturer yesterday and, and, and I wasn't, I'm not an expert on pet food manufacturing, but that it's a, a very energy intensive industry. And uh, they were explaining the, the impact that, you know, the cost, the high cost of energy was having on the, on the processes they were using to manufacture. But something else he told me was that I wasn't aware of, that people now are buying smaller dogs. So they, they now have to sell twice as much dog food oh my God. <laughs> as they used to because the dogs are yeah, smaller because yeah. everybody's choosing. So you, you, you're coming across challenges all the time. So at least businesses are having to think on their feet all the time how they address this, you know. So, they, you know, they're looking at different initiatives and, 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 and different products and things like that because that was another challenge that had come about. I hadn't really thought about that, you know. So, but it, everyone I talk to is... is has challenges. Every business has challenges. Um, some sectors are less impacted by what's going on at the moment. Obviously, if you don't use a lot of in- energy in your process, you're less impacted. And, 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 but they've all got challenges and they're all having to think on their feet all the time. They're having to be innovative and creative um, just to keep going. And, and if, if anything positive has come out of the last six years with all the challenges that everybody has had, it, people have come, become more robust become more agile, become more creative, because you've had to, you know what I mean? The, nobody could have foreseen any of these things. All right, Brexit was slightly different. It was something that we chose to do. And, and, and as a consequence, we had a bit of a lead time into it. But certainly the pandemic and the current economic crisis, you know, they couldn't have been foreseen. Nobody thought, you know, we'd see a, a war in mainland Europe again. And that, I think that has really dented people's confidence, I think, more than anything. I think that's really shocked people. And as a consequence of that, there's been lots of uh, inflationary impact, you know, on the costs of uh, just doing business. So, you know, and that's been tough. And I, I, you talk to businesses now and they're still resilient. You know, they know it's tough. They know it's hard doing business, but they're going to continue to do business. You know, they may sort of hold back on some major investment decisions in the near, near term just, just to see how things pan out in the new year. Because, you know, no, we're not clear at the moment how long inflation is going to be around for. You know, clearly they're going to, you know, the interest rate is going to go up probably in line with Europe and the US later today. But, but you know, it's, it, we've got to, it's tough because, you know, at the end of the day, people are feeling it going on to wages. And you look at it at the moment, you know, inflation is running at 10%, you know, so people logically want, want their pay increases to be 10%. But of course, the impact on that is that 
if you give people a 10% pay increase, that in itself becomes inflationary. So, yeah. so you, you, you get into this sort of spiral. So, so how do you address that? And it's, it's fascinating to see how creative business is being to address that. You know, they want to help their, they want to help their staff. They want to help their employees. They know how tough it is because they're feeling it themselves. So you see people making one-off payments, you know, to, yeah. to staff just to help them to, to, to pay their energy bills through the winter and things like that. So that, that's a less inflationary impact than, say, giving somebody a 10% salary increase. You know, I, I know there are different views on this, and I accept that, you know, that, you know, I talk to the people from the TUC on a regular basis, and I know that they're representing their employees, and they feel that their employees should get 10%. But the problem with that is that where does it end? If you keep, you're going to keep chasing, aren't you? And, and, and inflation is going to stick around and then you end up with stagnation and, and all sorts of other problems. So I think the way to contend with what's happening at the moment is to be, try and be clever, try and be creative, and try and think of different ways of doing things. Because mm. if we just follow the tried and trusted patterns, we'll just, we'll just be in this situation for a while. So. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It's a very, very difficult scenario. And I mean, you know, I think, yeah, we, we know interest rates are going to be going up. They'll mm. go up today. They may go up, you know, most, most likely go up again. Mm. Um, and it's and I think, you know, what I see when I'm working with business owners, in particular when I do, you know, my one-to-one mentoring, you know, I always say plan for the worst, hope for the best, right? So you need to be all over from the top line of your P&L, almost work your way mm. down and think, right, how can I drive top line growth? Or how can I be more innovative with the products? or the service I offer? How can I get my existing clients maybe to buy more? How can I add value, you know, to drive the revenue line as much as possible? And then you're working your way down around, okay, marketing. Yeah. What can you do more, 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 more efficiently? Can you be more active on social media that maybe is less costly than print and traditional media? You know, so you literally have to go through every single line and think, right, okay, how can I address, what can I do to my cost base? You know, because I can control that to a certain degree. Yeah. Um, and I think it's almost having those different scenarios um, and that forward view so that when things do come along, you you almost know exactly the triggers that, you, that you're yeah. going to pull think, yeah. um, as much as possible. It's very, very difficult, though. Yeah, really it's a challenge because in the past, quite often, Indirect spend has been the area where people have made their cuts almost immediately. Yeah, Marketing, yeah. we win them. Always Train, the first one. Yeah, training's <laughs> another that goes. Yeah. And, and, and it's, you know, it's been proved now that those two areas are areas that you shouldn't really be cutting you back. Protect. You should protect. Yes. And, uh, and it's interesting how people's attitudes have changed, sadly, because I've been at the CBI as long as I have. I have seen that change. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you see training and marketing now we give it far more priority than they did maybe 10 years ago. You know, in in the last, uh, you know, in the financial crisis of two thousand and eight, mm-hmm. so you know that's a positive in itself because you know people are now looking, you know, they're, they're looking at reducing their costs, but in a creative way, not making the obvious thing. Oh well, I need to get rid of the people. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, there are ways of doing things and doing things differently, and 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 you know, I see lots of great examples of people being imaginative and how they approach their day to day business. Yeah. So you know, it's tough, but you know, it's it's. It's good to see how, you know, innovative people are being. So actually talking about that, because as a business owner and for you in your position as well, you know, you have lots of pressures, mm. lots of stress coming in. We started off talking earlier about how, you know, you're, you love your running. And Ian runs at least 25 miles every single week, may I say, just keeping you accountable there for those continued good health that you already do. But on a serious note, you know, being keeping yourself in the right mindset, the right physical and mental shape to be able to deal with these business challenges is so important, isn't it? So can you talk a little bit about the things that are important to you to to keep you in top shape as that director of CBI Wales? Um, yeah, the, the running is interesting. I, 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 it's incredibly therapeutic, and I, I, there may be, I may, I may be a bit um, um, anal about this. So I, I feel as if I have to run, and as a consequence, it, it, this morning I didn't have a great deal of time. Everything was a bit of a rush, but I still managed to get out for five k. And, and on the odd days when I can't get out, it has such an impact on my on my, on my day. It's incredible, and my general well being. I find it harder to cope with particular negative aspects of, of, of the day. And today, you know, I've, I've got a really packed day. I'm meeting a, a, a potential CBI member in, in a couple of hours. Then I'm doing some media for the BBC. Then I'm at a dinner tonight regarding world skills. So, you know, there's a lot going on. And, and, and what you have to be with my role is you need to know a little bit about almost everything and a great deal about nothing. 
Oh, you know, if you do know a great deal about something, that's a bonus, you know? So I think sometimes keeping your body healthy is as important as keeping your mind healthy and and exercise is good like that. And and finding ways of, I'm I'm not a great switcher off, so I'm terrible. I... Get, get two mobile phones as a piece of advice I'd recommend to anybody, right? So have a mobile phone for your work, have a mobile phone for your private life. That's good. And then put, if you're on leave, I'm telling, I'm giving people advice here that I don't take myself, by the way, right? But if you're on leave, you leave your work mobile phone at home, you know what I mean? And you just take your personal one. As somebody that's had the same mobile phone and the only mobile phone for, for, since mobile phones were in existence, <laughs> I've realised how important that is. I haven't quite got to it myself yet. And everybody, everybody constantly tells me, you need to get another mobile phone. And I, I, it might be too late for me now, but certainly <laughs> anybody else do that. But yeah, switch off and find ways of switching off and genuinely switch off. Sometimes people pretend to switch off. Yeah, yeah. And, and you're, you make a really important point, actually, about being fully present. You know, because I think sometimes, and I'm guilt, I'm terrible as well, by the way. So I've really tried, and, and Chris and I have, we try to have more boundaries around what's acceptable. So I'm a bugger on my phone because yeah. you run your business on your phone. Yeah, you do. You, you do your banking, you do your social media. You, I've got all my access to all my folders in my Google Drive. I mean, I literally can run my business off my phone from anywhere in the world, which is brilliant, but is a downside to it as well, as you say. So, you know, we say, right, come dinner time, phone's out of the room. Chris will be listening to this going, yeah, right. <laughs> um, but, but he's trying at least to have those boundaries because you're absolutely right. If you don't find a way to keep yourself mentally stable, and mental health has been a massive challenge as well for lots of yeah. people, um, you're not going to perform at your best. You're just not, are you? And, and I think it's that old adage of, you know, when you get on the aircraft and this, and they go through the, the safety briefing and they talk about when the oxygen mask comes down, you put your own mask on first. That's the same in life and business, yeah. you know. And, and I think the fact that you do that is really important with your, with your running and your training and the physical connection to mental well-being, I think, is absolutely key. It's, it's huge because, you know, we all learnt during the pandemic it was hugely negative, but the impact on people's mental health, and I, I think, it's still playing out and I think nobody's clear how much damage it has done to yeah. to, to the working population and, and we're, we're still seeing it to a certain extent because we haven't arrived at that situation where people are clear as, as to what hybrid working means. It's a, you know, everybody is w- watching to see what everybody else does at the moment to just have a clear idea and I think there are still people working from home that probably haven't gone back into the workplace. They probably need to be around colleagues. It really does worry me and, and I think we haven't quite been brave enough to tell people you need to come back just to check in just to people make sure that you know the people are all right because you can put a front on it on a screen can you you know we've we've had nearly three years of zoom teams and and various other platforms now and you and we do it ourselves sometimes it's, it's a switch mechanism isn't it right i'm just about to start a call and you switch it on and you've got your call face on and then that call finishes and you switch it off and then you're back to how you really feel so if, you, if you've got a balance and you're going into the office, you're mixing with colleagues, that's good because mm. people can see how you're coping. But for the number of people that have worked from home constantly throughout this pandemic and are still working from home, I really worry about some of them. I've got a colleague, it, it worries me from his own personal welfare. He's a great guy and he does a brilliant job. And I think that's wonderful. But I'd like to, I'd like to spend some time with him sometimes, just, just me and him, just to make sure he's okay. Yeah. And, I, and you don't quite, you're not quite able to do that, bridge that, mm. you know, on a team's call or something. So yeah. it does worry me. I mean, I think that's it. You know, it's a great piece of advice for anyone that's listening, that's leading teams, you know, check in with your guys, mm. check in with your girls, make sure that everyone's okay. Is there anything you can support? And I think the other thing is, you know, that the art of communication you know, I mean, we're, we're recording this podcast. Thankfully, we're doing it face-to-face, which I always prefer because you have yeah. a much nicer kind of experience. Like, well, certainly I do. And I learn loads from doing, the, from doing these interviews. And, you know, it's great to be able to connect with, you know, people that are inspiring like you, Ian. You know, it really is. But I like doing them face-to-face. I can do them on Zoom. Yeah. And we could have done this on Zoom. Yeah. But what an opportunity to get down, sit, have a, have a chat. And I think sometimes that, you know, the communicate, the art of communication, almost people are frightened to be in yeah. front of someone. And we've got to bring some of that back, haven't we, yeah, to help massively. people? I, I think the, two, I, the way I describe it is sometimes the, the, the Zoom way of working is efficient but isn't always effective. Mm. And I think we've got to get the balance right again. You know, it's all right being efficient all the time, but we need to be more effective. Yeah. And there's no substitute for meeting people in person. 
to be effective. I agree. I agree. So we're going to come to the, to some final questions shortly, but I've got one more question for you, if you don't mind, which is which is very much around business related. So, you know, if someone is thinking of starting a business and I know you deal with a lot of SMEs and they may be a businesses that are already yeah. formed and, and, and I can't. But I know you do a huge amount of mentoring and guidance for, for younger people or maybe anyone that wants yeah. to switch from being in a job to, to starting a business. Is it a good time to start a business now, Ian? What's the approach that, and advice you would give? Well, if you've got the right idea, any time's a good time to start a business. And, and that there's lots of support out there now for people that start in business. We, we're quite well served in Wales. We've got, we've got fintech Wales based out of Cardiff, which is wonderful. And that helps sort of fintech startups. And then you've got, you've got something called Tramshed Tech, which currently is in Cardiff. It's just setting up a new port and will be setting up in Swansea soon. Now, that's a, a really good opportunity for people with a great idea to sort of be in an environment with lots of other people, going back to the point about, you know, thinking differently. So they're coming in, they, their strengths might be in, in innovating or developing a product, but then taking it to market. They haven't got that expertise. So going into these environments, those, there are, you know, that expertise is round the room so they can lean into that and they can develop that. Because I think it's, it's unfortunate how many good ideas don't actually end up getting to market. There are lots of clever people out there that come up with some brilliant ideas, but because they haven't got the expertise in other areas and they don't know where to turn, that those businesses, sort of, those opportunities wither on the vine. I think there's more and more out there now to enable businesses to do so. So if your idea is good enough, any time is a, a good time to start, start a business. I love that answer. Positivity, that's what we want. <laughs> um, and linked to that is failure, right? What's your attitude to failure, Ian? Ah, uh, I think... Uh, you, to succeed, you've got to fail on occasions because you learn from failure. And I, I, I'm, I've learned a lot over the years, so you could, you could argue that I failed on too many occasions. But, yeah, that's how you learn. You know, you, you just, you, you'll do things, you'll do them wrong, and then you think, well, I won't do that again. And, that, and you know, if, if anybody that doesn't fail, as far as I'm concerned, is not entirely being honest. So, so you've, you, and the more you fail, the more you learn. So I think, yeah, you've got, you've got to accept that on occasions you're going to get things wrong. Yeah, yeah. And, and you're right, that's where the learning comes. I'll give you, if you're not failing, you're not actually pushing out your comfort yeah, zone. Yeah, yeah, you're not, you're not. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, yeah, I think failure way to greatness is the message <laughs> um, from Ian. So no, that's great. So just a couple of final questions, if I may. So Ian, when you look back through your career and your illustrious life that you've had, um, can you think of the best piece of advice that you've been given? I, it, I don't know if I was given it, but I've learned it, right? It always, always treat people as you'd like to be treated yourself, right? I think it's ever so important. And you think about when you're talking to people, whether it's whatever situation it is, right? Think about how you'd respond when somebody was saying something to you. So I, I'm always really aware of how I would react to what I'm saying. And probably a lot of people would disagree with me on this, but it's always important to be kind, right? I, I, could, I could tell you... A really funny story, right? Uh, sorry, this is, but I, I I was in recruitment at the time, and I I am um, I was left with the responsibility on a Friday afternoon of telling somebody that we didn't need them anymore, uh, and they hadn't been with us a long time. But the person was lovely, and and but they weren't achieving their objectives. So uh, anyway, I I did it, and I did it in the way that I felt comfortable doing it, and 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 that that was it. And about nine months later, um, I got a call from a uh, Somebody took a call in the business to say that there was a, uh, there was a business that wanted uh, some uh, recruits and they'd come to us and, and could I go out and see them and, and, and see what, what, what their particular needs were. And I, when I arrived, it's going back, it shows my age again. I don't know if you remember the old Visi card system where when you arrived in the reception, there were cards yeah. and you put it in. If you were in, you put it in. Yeah, and you, if you put in. it in. Yeah, yeah. So I was look. I actually do. You when you arrive at a new business, you're a bit nosy, and you have a. Look. That's how you learn. You see, you look around the reception, and so I was looking around the reception, and I looked at the visi card and, and in, and there was this person's name for the six months previously I'd had to let go on a Friday afternoon. I thought, oh gosh, I said, there's no way we're going to get the business here. So anyway, I, I was sat there for about five minutes. All of a sudden, this person came down the stairs, and she came up to me and she hugged me. And she said, uh, she said, I, I was determined when I left that Friday that if ever I had the opportunity, I was going to give you some business. She said, because I've never been, I've never been sacked so nicely in my life before. <laughs> so so uh, that's the way to do it. You know what I mean? Do it as you would want somebody to do it to you. And, and, and you know, it'll work out. 
Yeah, I love that. And you're right, the way you do anything is the way you do everything yeah. and your values. And uh, yeah, that's a fantastic. I love the story. That's brilliant. <laughs> but yeah, great advice because sometimes those difficult conversations yeah. are not easy to be had, but no, they no. need to be had. But I do it in the right way. Yeah, do it in the right way. Absolutely. I love that. So, on the converse of that, can you think of any advice that you've had that maybe didn't work out so well and you regretted taking it or that maybe you ignored because you just thought, no, sod that. I'm going to follow my own path. I, I listen to people, but I generally, I, I, you know, I generally do my own thing. Um, there is advice, and probably subconsciously, I have taken on other people's advice. But I generally think things through myself. So I'll, I'll, I'll you know, I, I don't tend to go to people to ask them for advice if I'm going to make a major decision, because I've, I've, I've probably had enough information in the past to shape what I'm going to think. So uh, finding something specific that would that has sort of worked I don't I, I can't physically remember that but I've had loads of people get, tell me loads of good stuff over the years and I've absorbed it and it all goes in doesn't it and it stays there and then all of a sudden you're in a particular situation and something triggers in your mind to remind you of what somebody told you yeah. and and that happens constantly so that as I say I speak to so many people I've had so many gems of guidance over the years that I, I, I probably I should put them down on paper at some point and, and, and then share them but yeah I never have enough time to do anything unfortunately yeah. so and that's one thing I've never had enough time to do. So. No well that, well that's like a filing cabinet so yeah, yeah maybe you should write a book one day and everyone's got a book everybody's got a book in them <laughs> maybe if I can find some time I will do so. <laughs> Brilliant no I love this so my last question this podcast is called Brave Bold Brilliant as we all know and you clearly are all of those three things. Otherwise, Thank you wouldn't you. be sitting here having the conversation. But what does that mean to you when you hear, when you hear that brave, bold, brilliant? I, I go back to what I said earlier. You know, I think being brave is you, you've got to be honest. You've got to be honest with other people. And you've got to be honest with yourself. Uh, you, you've got to follow your instincts. You know, I, I, you know do the, if you follow your instincts and you're honest, nine times out of ten, you'll do the right thing. And, and it's really important that again, I go back to the point I made earlier. I think it's really important that how you're perceived. I, you know, I, that sounds a bit, I don't mean that sounds shallow, but people must, you know, it's important that people respect you. And I, I think, as I said earlier, I, I, I wasn't university educated. Uh, you know, I, I've, I've now had a structured career path, but I, I've been, I consider myself to have been successful. And I've been successful because I've followed a particular pattern and the way I've done things. And I've, I've made light to some of these situations. You know, I joked about going, being sent in to get a kicking when I was in recruitment and things like that. And that's because people buy into you, whether it's, whether it's a customer relationship, whether it's a, a B2B relationship, whether it's a personal relationship, people buy into you. And I, I think getting people to buy into you is ever so important. And people will, if they like you, They'll buy off you, right? You might not have the best product in the world at times, right? But they'll buy off you. People don't like you. You might have the best product in the world, but you, there's a fair chance that people aren't going to buy off you. So it's likable is a bit twee. And I, I, probably there is, there's a psychologist out there that would analyse likable in a, a slightly more sophisticated fashion. But I think be honest, be authentic and be likable. And I think that'll get you through life. Amazing. Oh, thank you, Ian. You've been so wonderful. I've loved chatting. We could chat for like another three hours or yeah. something. But no, thank you for coming on. I really appreciate it, Ian. It's a case of pleasure. I really hope you've enjoyed Brave, Bold, Brilliant. Don't forget to subscribe and share with all your friends. And if you've enjoyed listening, I'd love it if you'd leave me a five-star review.